Welcome back to the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. I'm your host, Jonathan M. Ruggiero, and we have a new co-host today, who I used to read out as our technical support, and she is... Courtney Halstead. Courtney's going to be joining us for a little conversation later, but first, the headlines of today. And I can think of only one headline. Guns, guns, and more guns. Today is the one-day anniversary of the shooting in Kansas City for the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. That person was subdued, not by the police, but by civilians who didn't have guns. It's also one day and six years since the Parkland shooting. The list, which is something I'll go into in a moment, is absolutely mind-boggling. And the normalization of all of this gun violence is, well, horrifying. As I can remember being a sophomore in high school in 1999 when Columbine happened and thinking that this would never possibly happen again. And that was pre-assault weapons banned. Since assault weapons have been back on the market, the CDC isn't allowed to keep track of this, but we have other organizations that do. We also have some fantasies around guns. We have the fantasy of the good guy with a gun. Where was the good guy with the gun in Kansas City, Missouri yesterday? Nowhere. You mean to tell me out of a million Missouri residents, none of them had a gun? Of course they did. But it wasn't they who stopped the shooter. It was a group of unarmed men. And later, when the Kansas City police chief said that civilians assisted the police in arresting the gunman, that was a lie, a ball-faced lie for anyone who has seen that videotape, saw not police officers, but civilians surround, close in, and tackle the gunman to the ground, stopping more than one person from being killed, which one is enough. Another fantasy we have is that we should just give the police more guns. We just need more guns in the hands of police and more police officers. Well, what have we discovered? The police are often the bad guys. There are a thousand examples, sometimes a hundred examples in a day, of people who, using their smartphone cameras, capture the bad behavior by these well-armed cops. And what about the cops outside of the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas? Well-armed police officers who waited more than an hour as they cowered outside the building and in hallways as children were being executed by a madman with an AR-15. We here in the USA have been made to feel hopeless when it comes to guns, and we've become mm, desensitized to gun violence. We even teach our five-year-olds to, quote, play dead in kindergartens across this country. Stop and think about that for a moment. We're teaching children to play dead so that the gunman won't, uh, you know, shoot at their corpse. It's insane. And when we go back and think about Sandy Hook, which is only one of the many anniversaries that we celebrate just this month, just in February, just from the six, seven, eight, nine, ten year period, 
that we've lived through, this era of legal assault weapons and the lack of requirements to purchase assault weapons from handguns to AR-15s is absurd. In fact, in Kansas City, when they asked the state legislature to allow them to stop minors from carrying assault rifles up and down the sidewalks of Kansas City, Missouri, they were voted down by a supermajority in the House of Representatives. Too many lawmakers in this country are owned. They're whores for gun companies. Chief whore would be Justice Clarence Thomas of the United States Supreme Court. We know he, he's whored himself out to Harlan Crow, billionaire, plenty of times, and that he is part of this death cult agenda because it doesn't just stop with guns. The same people who've been pushing this narrative that the Second Amendment protects guns and protects the private ownership of guns, which is complete nonsense to anyone who can actually read or anybody who takes the time to sit and read the Second Amendment. It's been perverted into that through millions of dollars and decades of brainwashing. Decades of it. So we, we've, been, we've been programmed to believe that there's, there's no way out of this, that there's no way to stop this madness, and that, that we're, we're stuck because every time a mass shooting happens, gun sales go up, even among Democrats, even among liberals who don't want guns anywhere near them. They feel the need to have them. It reminds me of the Childish Gambino song, There Are Guns in My Area, So I've Got to Carry Them. And that's sort of where we are. However, we do not have to be slaves to guns. And by the way, when right-wing media shows you all of the violence happening in Chicago, for example, those are not guns from Chicago. Those are guns being smuggled in from the extreme right-wing state just to the east of Illinois, also known as Indiana, which has some of the least restrictive gun laws in this country. In fact, if the Second Amendment was properly interpreted, it would guarantee us a safe life. Something we currently do not have, as now the number one killer of children in the United States is no longer car wrecks. It's guns. Guns, 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 guns. Here's an idea. For every Democratic state that decides to pass its own laws with heavy gun restrictions that will require uh, competency tests, that will require tests to make sure you're not insane, a real criminal background check that includes whether or not you've been released from a mental institution in the last year. Then we can start to get somewhere. And to borrow a little idea from Keith Oberman, which I think he might have borrowed from me because I know I've said this out loud before, it's time for blue states and red states to have an economic civil war. I know we hear cries of civil war in the literal sense from the right wing on a regular occasion, but what about an economic, therefore a nonviolent civil war? As 71% of every tax dollar brought into this country comes from a liberal state, a liberal district, or a liberal city. And if those liberal states, like California, stop paying their federal taxes, states like Florida would wither and die because they are welfare states. 
That's right, a state the size of Florida with that population takes in more money than it pays out to the federal government. Unlike deep blue states such as California, New York, and Massachusetts, which overwhelmingly fund the majority of other states. Something else I would demand during our strike against paying federal taxes, we can hold them in blue states. California could hold those federal taxes. Big cities that are in red states, like say Nashville, Tennessee, could hold on to their federal tax dollars, but not turn it over until a few things were met first. A few demands, if you will, in this monetary hostage situation for which the Supreme Court will be no help to you. In fact, the Supreme Court will be target number one. Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney, the religious bandit Barrett, of course that whore, that prostitute of a Supreme Court judge, Clarence Thomas, and even... Chief Justice John Roberts, you have to go to re-legitimize the court. I'm just getting information that firearm deaths have increased by 87%. And what was the time frame on that? In the past 10 years. In the past 10 years, we've seen an 87% tick up in firearm deaths. And it's not as if 10 years ago it wasn't happening as well. I do believe it's a higher growth rate than cancer. I mean, um, 1,311 deaths in 2011 has now reached 2,590 deaths since 2021. Well, you're hearing those, those numbers firsthand as they're being read from statistical fact keepers online. Let's just, uh, let's just take a moment and consider what's happened over the last few years. Republicans, we know are going to run away from all of this and do nothing more than send their thoughts and prayers. But this is reporting from the Gun Violence Archive, which does a very good job of archiving and keeping track of gun deaths since it is literally illegal for the CDC to do so. In order to pass funding for the CDC, this is something Republicans demanded, that gun deaths not be tracked, which makes zero sense. Unless, of course, you're taking a bunch of money from gun companies, and then you wouldn't want that out there, would you? I mean, you wouldn't be faced with it every day, the way you're faced with a mass shooting almost every day, and you can send your thoughts and prayers. Or if you're like Donald Trump. During my four years, nothing happened, and there was great pressure on me having to do with guns. We did nothing. We didn't yield. Those numbers I was talking about show that deaths and the, the dates and anniversaries of those massacres, and guess what? We have anniversary almost every day of the year. Furthermore, we have several left for this month, February of 2024 alone. On February 19th in 2013, there was a shooting in California. It was in Orange County, three killed, three wounded. On February 21st, 2013, one killed and three injured, again, in California. The first day of February, which when in 2013, one was killed and three was injured in Oakland, California. And on the second day of February in 2013, here in Tennessee, we had yet another mass shooting. On February 7th, 2013, this time, Illinois. 
February 9th, 2013. Louisiana, February 11th, 2013. California, February 11th, twice in one day, and 2013. This time in Delaware, February 12th, 2013. Utah, that's just the first half of February. And oh, that's just in 2013. Biden could go it alone. He could say, forget about re-election, but it would do no good. He could pour out 450 presidential orders. They would all be overturned by the Supreme Court, which has so perverted the Second Amendment that people actually believe they have a right to firearms, that they have a right to them, when that's actually not in there anywhere. But the word well-regulated is definitely in the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. This goes back to my idea of civil war, economic civil war. Once again, you're not, there's nobody here uh, suggesting that we actually get involved in violence. Economic civil war would be holding on to those federal tax dollars until states like Florida, like Mississippi, like Alabama, like Tennessee, completely crumble under the weight of their own stupidity. If they want their money, then they're going to have to walk the line. They're going to have to actually listen to the will of the people. And let's start, let's just start with Idaho having as much representation in the United States Senate as California. Idaho is not a real state. And why the hell do we have two Dakotas? Isn't one miserable, cold, desolate place enough? Do we really need two South, two Dakotas, North and South? Maybe we just join North and South Dakota to Wyoming and call it the Central West Northern Plains states. We can throw Montana in there too, even though we kind of need that Senate seat. As we await the Supreme Court's final decision on whether or not Donald Trump has absolute immunity which would mean Joe Biden has absolute immunity, whether they decide to allow the January 6th case in D.C. to go forward or not, all hangs in the balance. But breaking news from CBS just before we went on the air, the New York District Attorney's criminal case against Donald Trump for the Stormy Daniels payoff in 2016 will go ahead as scheduled on March 25th. Nice. I remember so many saying at the time that it was terrible that New York went first when it came to indicting Trump, that perhaps uh, we should have waited on the federal government. Well, we see what waiting on the federal government got us. Absolutely nothing. Waiting on the federal government was never really an option. And having those state cases in place, well, they were absolutely necessary, as we see Fonnie Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, struggled to keep her case together because of, well, frankly, some poor personal decision-making on her part. However, Alvin Bragg has been ready for trial for over a year now. And the Stormy Daniels case, well, that's more or less open and shut. And by not disclosing that on his financial statement is a crime, not only in the state of New York, in the city of New York, but in the United States of America. You don't go around paying hush money to porn stars and expect not to 
pay for it in a criminal fashion at some point in time. Now that I've gone through my daily tirade, we've already welcomed my guest host for the day, Miss Courtney Halstead. Courtney, weigh in on this with me for a moment. Let's talk about guns for a second. And what is the appropriate action in your mind uh, for the federal government, for state governments, for city governments to take to curb some of this? Well, obviously it is a problem and it is something that's not going to be like a one state at a time. I think we're going to have to all or nothing this. I think the federal government needs to step in and kind of take over from the states. If you have one state here, one state there uh, controlling guns, it's not going to matter as much as if it's a collective. We point that out that after Sandy Hook, um, after Sandy Hook, Connecticut had some of the has one of the lowest gun death rates in America. And I think part of the reason is because Connecticut is sort of encompassed by liberal states that also have strict gun laws. You have New York just to the southwest. You know, you have Massachusetts to the north. You have those big, wealthy, liberal states that have said, no, this isn't going to happen anymore. Where Chicago is located right on the Indiana border. So you have uh, guns flooding in that are being stolen from um, gun shops in Indiana and then driven back into Illinois. And we see this time and time and time again. So when they talk about carnage in Chicago, it's really carnage in Chicago via right-wing Indiana, which is not, isn't something you'll hear on Fox News, but it's, it's a fact and something you'll hear here on the Magnolia Media Network. So... In order to get anything done federally, though, it's almost as if we would have to use our biggest strength. And again, I, I referred to this in the you know opening tirade. Just hold on to the money. Take the money away from them long enough to get the whores out. Because let's be honest, when it comes to legislation and campaign finance reform and I mean, like you said, I think withholding the money is going to be the best idea because, like you said earlier, we've been desensitized to violence. Gun control is definitely an issue, but first and foremost, I think the only way we're going to get things done is by withholding money from the states that aren't... The welfare states. Right. And, and, you and know, at that point, if you're taking more than you give anyway, you're not necessarily... Right. A, and and there's no way that the amount of money that um, California is paying annually into the federal government, for example, or the state of New York, which I think both are well over $100 billion, there's no way that those states are ever going to recoup uh, that level of service from the, um, from the federal government itself. It's never going to get that kind of infrastructure money back. They simply provide too much money for welfare states. And that's and, and fine. And these are the same some... states that hate, that claim socialism and communism and the, the left-wing idea. Well, you guys survive on socialism. Exactly. It's the, it's the states that are against the socialism. And while there is a sense of all for one and one for all uh, within the states, if you have a state like Florida that's a welfare state, but at the same time they're now book burning and doing everything else that shouldn't be done, now they're just a burden. Now you're actually harming the United States. It's not like you're providing anything. You're not providing a service. You're not providing great schools. Nothing. No, I think, I think that Florida is going to suffer a great brain drain. And I, and I love Professor Galloway 
This is uh, the dog, Professor Scott Galloway's uh, basic idea that if you are in a state that's engaged in book burning or doing away with what's perceived as DEI, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that your high school diploma just should be invalid in blue states where most of your, well, I can't think of a red state that has a major university other than Georgia, Emory, and Tennessee with Vanderbilt. But those certainly are not the conservative parts uh, of those states. But I mean, I agree to an extent because you got to remember a high school student's not going to be able to up and move and pick their own high school. Mm-hmm. They are somewhat at the mercy of their surroundings. Right. I feel like if a student can still test out or some benchmark to show that they do still have the skills for the real life, I mean, their high school diploma shouldn't just be null and void. So what you're saying is their high school diploma would be fine as long as uh, they were able to pass basic tests. Right, and obviously show that they're not, they, they've done the research, maybe they've read books on their own, or they're, they're ready to be a functioning member of society and continue their life. Yeah, because it would essentially, under the my concept, which is just, that's just, you know, I don't, first of all, I don't think it would take very long for states like Missouri and Arkansas and other bastions of garbage would finally concede, you know, and, and stop doubling down when their students aren't getting into Harvard or Yale. Their students, hell, they're not even getting into state universities in places like Illinois, where, you know, of course you have a lot of, of great universities. And then the private universities like Northwestern, and Notre Dame, which is in Indiana, could sort of make their own decision. But what you're you're suggesting is let them have their high school diploma so long as they can pass this test. And if they move from state to state, you know, in the future, that's okay. But you have to be able to pass this basic civics test slash, you know, um, American history test to even move To forward. an extent, yes. I just feel like for children, essentially, that cannot survive on their own, cannot drive, cannot do X, Y, and Z. I don't think they should be punished for something they weren't necessarily, you know, wasn't their choice because a lot of kids could still do the extra research and reading, you know, outside of school. They could. I think that would have to be encouraged uh, by parents, but I do oh, I, agree. I do believe some something punitive has to happen to stop what's going on in states like Florida. Number one, let's, let's stop patronizing those states no more trips to the beach and shitty ass florida it's not like the beaches are really that great i mean they're they're filthy anyway i mean from daytona to naples and destin uh you know they're they're filthy beaches anyway it's like 120 degrees in december in florida now so it's not attractive for those reasons you have an naacp travel advisory against going to florida uh, as long as that is in effect, I will not step foot in the state. Uh, I don't care what the quality of life is. I can probably get a better quality of life in, in Hawaii, which is a deep blue state that, you know, is every bit as tropical and healthy as Florida. Probably healthier because, you know, of the, uh, I don't know, lack of uh, available injectable drugs um, on every corner. I mean, Florida's still uh, the leading pain clinic state uh, in the United States. So there's the that to take into consideration. When I was there, the decades difference, it's still an awful place. Well, I mean, I lived in Florida as well. We're obviously coming to you from Knoxville, Tennessee, but I lived in, in Florida 
as a child. And then we had a summer home there that uh, I, I guess from ages 8 till about 13 or 14, we used on a pretty regular occasion. And, and Florida just became more and more dilapidated. It, it became dirtier and dirtier. And as the people rush in, to borrow a line from Donald Trump, they're not sending their best when Californians are taking off to Florida, and that's all you hear about. You know, the NAACP travel ban going on uh, in Florida, let's see, it says here, reconsider travel to Florida due to unconstitutional laws that target immigrant communities and abuse civil liberties. A caution advisory for travelers to Florida. Unconstitutional legislation increases risk in Florida. Risks for accompanying individuals in Florida. Racial profiling in Florida affects many. Consult an attorney before traveling to Florida. How about that? Consult your fucking attorney before traveling to Florida. That sounds great. Caution at Florida airports and bus stations. Assaults on medical freedom. And of course, that's referring to the 15-week abortion ban that's now being moved down to a six-week abortion ban. Ron DeSantis failed at, you know, uh, running for president, so he went back to tormenting uh, women in the state of Florida. And I truly believe Rick Scott uh, is, I think his ass is on the line. Despite all of his personal millions of dollars and what he'll dump into this Senate race in Florida, I think Florida is a state Joe Biden can win. What were you saying? And just throwing that out there for those of you that don't know, most women do not even find out they're pregnant until six to eight weeks. It yeah. takes your body that long to have enough hormones for it to register. And, and so that's the, the, the whole heartbeat bill bullshit. Uh, that's what it was designed for. It's designed to, A, scare doctors into performing abortions even when they're absolutely medically necessary. And two, it's there so that the line is so blurry that a physician just won't do them, period. You know, uh, even when you come in, you might be sort of... You look at a state like Texas where if your neighbor tells on you for having an abortion, they're awarded civilly $10,000 against your estate. And that's putting our doctors in a rock and a hard place and going to leave us at a very, very, very large shortest of gynecologists because they're not going to want to take the risk for that. It's already happening. We're seeing a migration of 20% of active gynecologists have changed states, have moved. Gynecology is, of course, um, a well-paying career, and these people have the choice as to where they practice. And so packing it up and joining a new medical group in, let's say, Illinois, uh, Virginia, on up the East Coast, Maryland, for example, or out west, California, Washington. I think it Oregon. should be illegal to make doctors choose in a, in a sense like that. I mean, these people take an oath to protect their patients, and you are making them break that oath by watching a mother die because she couldn't yeah. survive a pregnancy. And these stories are coming out uh, more and more. And, and, and the fact that we're not seeing just a, a deluge of these stories uh, coming from... Uh, Florida and and Texas makes one stop and wonder um, why, what's going on? Something, I mean, the when fascism sets in, and that's what is setting in in Florida and in Texas. And the fact the Supreme Court hasn't said no, you can't 
incentivize neighbors to sue their neighbors uh, the way. That's just a boring. That's what Texas has done. They've said if you are aware that your neighbor, for example, has had an abortion, then tell us. And if it's you're proven to be, if that's proven to be true, then you are you're automatically awarded ten thousand dollars against their estate. I mean, now you're just dividing communities and neighborhoods. You're dividing people even more than they already were before. Uh, it, it, that I think that's the whole point. It, the same thing, and and I don't. And here's another thing I don't get. And hopefully, in a second Biden term with a real uh, attorney general, now I see why uh, Merrick Garland was so unappealing to conservatives. Uh, back in 2016, uh, he he's damn near spineless. He he, he sounds weak he, he, and feckless. He waited two years to appoint Jack Smith to Donald Trump's ass. Why wasn't somebody attached to Donald Trump's ass the day Donald Trump left office as soon as an attorney general was appointed by uh, Joe Biden and confirmed by the Senate? As soon as the DOJ was up and running, we should have had a special counsel attached to Donald Trump so that we are now uh, not in a position so that we would now not be in a position where we are racing both the clock, which says you can't uh, proceed with a trial against a, a presidential candidate 60 days before the election and um, court itself, you know, trying to to get these answers for, about the January 6th case. Uh, which, you know, defendant Trump is is going to be defended now on March 25th. We know that for sure. They're going to start jury selection. It's in lower Manhattan. Manhattan has not been good to Trump when it comes to trials. His federal uh, civil case in Florida involving E. Jean Carroll has yielded a total of $88.4 million in damages he'll have to pay to Miss Carroll at some point. And then there's Judge Ingeron's final determination on what's the number? What's the number going to be? Letitia James's office is seeking $370 million. But when you add the fact, now we find out, um, even though he was found guilty, Alan Weisselberg, former Trump CFO for 30 years, committed perjury during his trial and is now working hand-in-hand with Judge Ingeron to help him come up with that number to avoid going to prison. Now, now we're it, the whole thing just just took a a, a, a a leap, took a huge step in a different direction, because Alan Weisselberg is is working with Judge Ingeron, and I think we're likely to see a five, six, seven hundred million dollar uh, judgment disgorgement in this particular case from from Donald Trump. So we've been talking frequently about Donald Trump owing this person, that person, everybody. Um, But he's also broke. So I know they're going to disgorge his properties and what few remaining assets he has left, but what are they going to do if he just runs out of money? Um, Well, they've had two financial monitors um, closely watching everything Donald Trump does now since the beginning of the civil fraud trial, even before the civil fraud trial, to make sure that money stays there. Thus far... We know he has used all of you out there in MAGA world to pay his bills thus far. Uh, last year, $60 million was paid to attorneys out of your money that's supposed to go to help elect a guy. So um, 
you know, at, at some point, yeah, he's going to have to put up or shut up. Again, he had to put up in order to appeal, and this would have this was last Monday, in order to appeal that $83 million judgment, he had to come up with all $83.3 million. So that money's coming from his, his sycophants. It's coming from, well, you know, uh, you know, Joe Trashman or Joe Plummer or you know, whoever. It's not coming from his billionaire donors because, frankly, he doesn't have any of those left. Um, they've sort of obviously broken off and, and go, gone toward Nikki Haley because, well, Nikki Haley could win the general election. But she's starting off with such a low sum from the um, GOP because Trump's used it all. That's what people don't realize. Every penny is... Yeah, but her, her, the thing about her is that she was backed by the Koch Network. Which is the largest billion dollar billionaire uh, pack for any Republican running for office? They absolutely will not support Trump. And um, by the way, the Republican Party, and not just in states but now nationally, is having to look for lines of credit because Trump has cost them so much money. It's not just Trump; they're also paying for the fake electors in the Georgia RICO case. The people who uh, you know, said they would go and 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 cast a, their ballot for Donald Trump against the will of the people of Georgia. So they're paying for one insurrectionist after another. Um, and last year, it brought in just over two hundred million, but spent something like two hundred and two million, leaving them two million dollars in the red. Yeah, I feel like that that doesn't quite add up. No, which is funny considering how many personal people I have are very. Into accounting. And, and typically when the both parties would be at, the, at this time of year with two presumptive nominees in Joe Biden and Donald Trump, you would have the RNC and the DNC battling for ad space, the best ad space on social media platforms, on television, in key swing states, etc. Instead, we have President Biden buying them all. There is no competition for airspace. There, it's the, all of the the oxygen was been was been sucked out of the room because of Donald Trump. Number one, small dollar donors to the GOP is not going to work the way it does in the Democratic Party because we have, frankly, an enormous registration advantage. Again, if you're a Democratic voter, you're more likely to have gone to college to be female. To, to be incredibly offended by uh, what's happened with women, female reproductive rights. Well, you got three for three sitting right next to you. Yeah, exactly. So as a woman who has sort of come from a conservative background and now you've been out in the world and you've kind of, you know, gotten involved in politics a little bit, how, how does it feel to know that in Tennessee they would let you die before they would give you the medical care necessary? Uh, because they supposedly care so much about life. Oh, it's absolutely infuriating. I mean, I'm not any of the women out here. We're not breeding cattle. I mean, we're not here just to have a child. It does seem uh, a lot like the hands made tale come to life. It does. And it is frustrating when you, like you said, coming from a conservative background, there are obviously things that my family and I bump heads on, and that is one of them. Um, I haven't decided personally if I want children, but this is not helping. 
me no. make that decision because I don't want to put myself or my family in a position where I am at risk. Right. And if you uh, you you got your bachelor's sometime back um, a little uh, off schedule for a traditional student, but you got it, and now you're considering graduate school, um, if you went to graduate school, um, would you even look for jobs in Tennessee at this point? Or would you look to set up long-term shop in a state where, A, you're going to make a whole lot more money, and B, um, you have, you, you're more or less guaranteed the freedom of choice, even if the Supreme Court ruled that abortion was illegal across the board in states like California and places like Washington, D.C., states like Virginia, Maryland, uh, and further north, they're not going to uphold that law. That That's, law will be ignored. Yeah, I mean, at least if I'm in a different state, the state itself will step in and protect. Oh, yeah. We'll try. I, and... No, I won't stay in Tennessee. I only came back to Tennessee because of some extenuating circumstances. And as soon as I am in a position where I can leave in a better state, like you said, making more money, yes, that is the intention. Well, you heard it here. You heard it from an educated woman who hits that demographic that Republicans are trying to cherry pick. They're losing by the widest margin um, either party's ever lost um, to one gender or the other. Right now, at least according to the Quinnipiac poll, it's a 26-point voting advantage for Democrats among women who are more likely to vote than uh, among men. By the way, Republicans have about a 10-point lead among men and with a, a margin of error of almost 4%, so that could be as little as 5 or 6%. And throwing back, well, real quick, as we're on the uh, women's health, for those of you that are unaware, uh, one out of every six American women has been the victim of a completed or attempted rape. But you also have to remember that that are reported cases. Uh, so if I had to make a guess, that is probably much higher. So odds are most of us in our lives know someone who has been raped. And I mean, they're not going to want to carry a child from that. I mean, you got to think about it. Would you force your sister to carry a child as a result of incest or rape just because you felt like it? You know, they just don't seem to get it. I remember during the pandemic when Lieutenant Governor of the state of Texas, Dan Patrick, said that it was every old person's obligation to go out and work without a vaccine and to keep the economy running. Because they owed it to, they owed their life to their grandchildren. Now, this was a guy working in a hermetically sealed bubble. This was, you know, pre-vaccination days because he was the lieutenant governor of Texas. But what a what a disgusting and ballsy thing to say. Then we have a governor in Tennessee who was only elected because the um, Trump wrecking ball came along and derailed uh, Tennessee politics as it had been for. A long time, and we ended up with a a right wing Christian extremist named Bill Lee, which Bill Lee is not a first name. That's two last names or first names crammed together. Um, who said, uh, you know, we just need to get together and uh, pray away. We're gonna we're gonna pray away the virus. That's almost as stupid as Donald Trump suggesting we shove light bulbs up our ass. Uh, or inject bleach, in my opinion. Uh, so Tennessee is is caught in this. We're stuck with Marsha Blackburn, who is the 
same as the very person who got Taylor Swift to sort of turn her political lights on and say, look, Marsha Blackburn is antithetical to everything which I believe. Um, and and that was the thing when she ran against Phil Bredesen back in 2018 that, that made her come out and say, look, I, you know, I can't just rest on my laurels here. I have to um, uh, say something about Marsha Blackburn and what she represents and, you know, how um, anti-woman this woman actually is. And I mean, we need more celebrities and people like that, that are like Taylor Swift. And we don't need celebrities and people that are role models staying out of the spotlight mm. and staying unpolitical. I get it. I don't care for politics that much. I don't like the conflict. However, these people are role models to other you know, young children and people. They need to step up and show them that you need to have a voice. And, and, and it's funny to me to hear somebody like... Uh, Tucker Swanson Carlson, a man who has had a silver spoon in his mouth since he was born, or Elon, my parents owned a uh, rare gem mine in South Africa, which I'm sure that was a hellscape if ever there was one, um, tell uh, actors and celebrities who've actually been poor. Johnny Depp was as poor as anyone you've ever known at one point in his life. That's probably that probably holds up. I know it holds up. For Robert Downey like Jr. George was a Clooney. drug addict. Robert Downey Jr. was a silver spoon because of his father's career, but spent time in prison, state prison in California, for cocaine. So these people, the Taylor Swifts of the world, who who weren't raised with a silver spoon, might have been middle class. Then again, could have been like Jewel, who was you know literally wrapping up food that. Customers didn't eat, so she had something to eat at home. You know, this was back in the 90s. I feel they have more right to step forward and say this is wrong or that's wrong than, you know, some politicians or political commentators who carry on and carry on and carry on but have never struggled a single day of their life. I wouldn't even call it a right. I would almost say it's an obligation. To some extent, I guess you could say it's an obligation because, you know, we mentioned George Clooney a moment ago. He didn't grow up that far from here. He grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and he went to a private school there just across the bridge, across the river and uh, in Cincinnati. So he's a Kentucky slash Ohio native, uh, at, you know, like John Prine, like Dolly Parton. Um, you know, to say Dolly Parton shouldn't have the option of having a voice um Considering she's been as dirt poor as dirt, yeah. I mean, her her story is ubiquitous at this point in the American imagination. Um, and you know, as far as J.D. Vance and his hillbilly elegy, that was a crock of shit if I've ever seen one coming from someone who has hillbillies in their family, as most of us at this table do. Um, and from our editor, engineer, and director. Logan Ramsey, uh, to you, Courtney, and, and to myself. Um, it's, it's disheartening. You know, it's disheartening to see the way women especially are attacked. Uh, it's disheartening to see the way women are attacking and standing up for fellow women. Yeah, well, you, it's, it's sad to see the Marsha Blackburns of the world who say, fuck, you know, I'll take the money and run with it. You know, or I believe... That because I didn't have an abortion, it should be illegal for everyone. 
or it has something to do with my religion, which, you know, they love to jump right to the Second Amendment, but, uh, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom from religion is all crammed right there in the First Amendment. So um, with that being said, we could go on about this all day long, but I think we've given it plenty of time. Courtney, we appreciate you so much for coming on the air. Of course. Um, uh, we're going to try to schedule to have you back on the air with us for Monday's episode, which we record on Sunday evenings. But we'll be there for you at uh, midnight on early Monday morning or by 6 a.m. at the latest. Um, because I think today went quite well. And with that being said, a quick readout. I'd like to thank my co-host, Courtney Halstead, not just for appearing on the podcast, but also for her technical support. I'd like to thank Logan Ramsey for directing, editing, and engineering today's episode. I'm your host, Jonathan M. Ruggiero, here at the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. Quickly, let me mention it one more time. If you're enjoying the content we're bringing you here from Knoxville, Tennessee, a little liberal news in the eye of the storm, be sure and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Magnolia Media Network. I think that does it for me. Anything left for you, Courtney? No, we're good here. I'll see you all next time. Okay. Until then, I'm Jonathan M. Ruggiero. Be well. Be well.